Welcome to Urban Wildlife Tales, where you'll hear stories, tips, and tricks about humanely dealing with our furry and sometimes scaly friends. I'm your host, Dusty Showers, solving your daily nuisance wildlife issues. Big thanks to my friend Randall from the crazy famous Honey Badger video on YouTube. If you have not already, be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. Welcome to the Urban Wildlife Tales podcast. I am your host, Dusty Showers, and this is the first inaugural ever launch of the Urban Wildlife Tales podcast. So first, why don't we get into what this show is all about and the direction I would like to take it and you know more or less the mission that we have and then I'll explain a little later on uh, exactly who I am and what I do and and uh, the things that are important to me as far as this show is concerned so first of all the the topics that we're going to be discussing are urban wildlife or, or nuisance urban wildlife issues uh, the program is geared towards really anybody that has any kind of interest in animals, even if um, even if you're a computer programmer, but you like watching the squirrels in your backyard, or you want to know how to take care of beavers, or uh, you want to know what the fastest uh, North American land animal is, uh, anything like that. And I also want to hear stories from you guys uh, of things that you experience, problems that you have, questions you, you need answered. And I would also like to have other urban wildlife specialists uh, come on as guests and we can talk about uh, the way that they deal with things. But basically urban or suburban wildlife could be anything from raccoons to rats, bats, bees, possums, skunks, squirrels, groundhogs, beavers, um, bees, wasps, hornets. Uh, some of these animals are gonna be native some of them are invasive species like rats, like Muscovy ducks, starlings, sparrows, pigeons, and all sorts of things. The difference between urban nuisance wildlife and regular nuisance wildlife would be we don't deal a whole lot with uh, things like coyotes or bears. And granted, coyotes have really moved into um, in so many suburban areas and urban areas. Uh, even into the, some of the big cities. So, um, you know, while we will do some discussions on coyotes, we're not doing anything where we're talking about some of the um, some of the traps, like the leg hold traps and, and the shooting or the hunting of them. So we're really going to focus on uh, positive ways to deal with urban nuisance wildlife. And when, when I say urban uh, nuisance wildlife, the nuisance 
really comes in many shapes and forms. It could be raccoons in your attic, groundhogs tearing up, uh, you know, your yard, eating your flowers, the deer on your property, squirrels chewing the wires up in your attic. Many parts of the country, rats are are real, real big problems. And there's there's a lot of bad advice out there. And my goal is to give the the best professional advice. You can't always give professional advice because uh, just tonight I got a uh, I got a message from somebody that says that says how can I get raccoons out of my attic? Somebody wants to charge me two hundred and fifty dollars to do it. I want to do it myself. Well, I can give her advice, but it's not going to be professional advice. So, um, you know, in some cases where we can't tell you, you know, you might not have the equipment to uh, to do it professionally. So a lot of times the answer is going to be call a professional. Other times, you know, we might be able to give you answers of how you can deal with some of these things yourself. And I also want to disseminate some of the issues that that you hear from other people like, well, just put mothballs out. That's all I need to do. And, and I put mothballs out and that takes care of my problems. And, um, and I'm going to say this a billion times through this show. Do not put mothballs out. Do not put ammonia out. There's so many, um, quote unquote solutions that are out there that not only don't work, but they can be harmful or they can be toxic. And there's also a lot of program uh, products that are out on the market that you can go buy at some of the big box stores that said, we'll keep all the critters out of your yard. Just buy this thing for $14 and spread it all around and it'll take care of all the critters. Don't do that either. Um, it's kind of the last ditch effort. So, so we'll discuss some of the things that have to do with that. Um, and on a bigger scope, it's really my mission to, um, almost bring like a green movement to the trapping industry. And I know that some of my fellow trappers might not like um, the sound of that, but the trapping business has, has pretty much been done the same way for a long time. You have an animal, you trap an animal, you either euthanize it or you relocate it. But the little secret that we don't really talk about in the wildlife business, and frankly, a lot of the, the trappers just don't know this, but if they do any research, um, and in some of the areas where where you have uh, large-scale trapping going on, they have to know it. So when I first got my start, we would send, in the spring and the summer, we would send five to seven trucks out in the morning. Those trucks would return at the end of the day with four raccoons and two groundhogs and two skunks and uh, maybe 10 baby raccoons. And you can only put so much of those animals in a forest preserve or for that matter, anywhere before there's a decline of, of what you're releasing. So studies show that many of the animals, especially the squirrels and the uh, raccoons that up to 80% of them die within 90 days after being relocated. So we like to have this warm and fuzzy feeling of, oh, just relocate that animal, take him out where he belongs and let him go so he'll be happy there. But the truth is there really isn't a place where these animals belong. They kind of just belong where they are. And I know everyone says it as, well, they were here first, so we should let them stay and uh, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. And many of these animals, if not all of them, thrive around people. So we have this notion that an animal just needs to be let in the let go in the woods, 
and it's going to run away smiling and then turn around and wave to you and say, hey, golly jeepers, thanks for letting me go in the woods. Now I can go frolic with with my friend, the deer and my other friend, the the alligator and and whatever, because I'm in Florida. So we all play with alligators. Right. But but it's just not true. And in fact, I just saw a program last night where it showed chipmunks fighting and it said that sometimes they'll fight to the death. And when we see them play and, and stuff, it's like, oh, cute. Look at, um, you know, the little Chippendales dudes rolling around and it, it looks like they're having fun. But chipmunks are trying to kill each other. So even if we take something as as innocuous as a chipmunk and say, oh, just take them out somewhere else and let them go. There's other chipmunks that want to kill that chipmunk. So one of the challenges is that the people don't care whether it's a consumer or whether it's the trapper and and that can be difficult to overcome and so when we say well there there may be better solutions they they just really don't care or if you tell somebody you know well that armadillo that's in your yard it's really not a problem they say well i don't care if you don't get rid of it i'm going to hit it with a shovel so as a as a trapper you're kind of put into a position of even when you try to do the right thing Sometimes you still have to remove an animal from an environment so that it, it won't be harmed by someone else that, you know, that is right there. So we're going to dig into to some of those issues, um, especially, I think, the relocation issue and are there better ways to do things? And I'm trying to develop um, develop ways to, especially with raccoons and squirrels, where we don't do the old school way of, of just trapping. You know, if somebody calls you and says, I have raccoons in my attic, you go out there, you set a trap. And this is where a lot of trappers fail. This has been an exploding industry, urban nuisance wildlife management. Uh, so many people have gotten into the business and have no idea what they're doing. So they come, they put maybe five traps on the ground. You've got raccoons in your attic. So they put five traps on the ground and they catch three raccoons and two possums and a skunk and, and a squirrel. And then they go to the customer and say, you had three raccoons, two skunks, a possum, a groundhog, and a squirrel all living up in your attic. That'll be $500, please. And meanwhile, the person probably only had one raccoon and maybe babies. And since that trapper has no idea what it means to catch target animals, he probably orphaned the babies up in the attic which is going to lead to a whole nother issue. So 10 days to, to two weeks, those babies are going to die a slow, antagonizing death. And then a trapper that knows what he's doing is going to have to come in and pull those babies out because the other guy had no idea what he was doing. So I think that those problems can be evolved by developing some new techniques that that make the animals want to leave. And it's not that cut and dry. It's not as simple as saying, hey, this is all you need to do. Um, but I truly believe that there are things that can be done uh, And the benefit to that is now you have the animal going in, taking those babies and moving them out on her own. Uh, the other alternative is, uh, you know, when I first started, we were, we would trap target animals. We would focus on trapping only the animal that was causing the problem. And then, then we would get the opening sealed up. And then along came trappers that said, well, we're going to exclude them which meant that they're going to put up basically a one-way door. And that one-way door allows the bats to leave, or I'm sorry, it allows the animals to leave, but they can't get back in. 
So that can solve the problem in some cases. But the bigger issue is many of those animals, that's their home that they just got locked out of. So they're going to do everything that they can to try to get back in, especially if it's a mother raccoon or a mother squirrel. So they're going to tear the house apart trying to get back in. And if they don't get back in, those babies are going to die in the attic. And that can cause some serious issues. So uh, this really is, you know, some people look at me and say, Dusty, is it really that big a problem? <laughs> and, you know, if you just Google Trapper and the town that you live in or uh, raccoons in attic and then whatever major town you live in, you're going to see a lot of guys show up. So uh, it's definitely it's a it's a large niche business. So a lot of guys have gotten into it. a lot of pest control companies have gotten into it. And while it's related to pest control, it's definitely not a pest control business. And, you know, some companies can successfully tie the two to diff together, uh, but we're cousins with pest control. And so, I, you know, I do both, but I do pest control just because it's, it's easy. Might as well do it while you're out there. But it takes a whole different mentality to be a humane wildlife trapper. Or, as I like to say, and UWD. And if you're wondering what a UWD is, I'm an urban wildlife dude. Uh, I'm not a trapper. I like to think of myself as much more than a trapper. I'm not a pest control guy. Uh, urban wildlife management specialist could be a better name, but a UWD or urban wildlife dude just uh, kind of fits the bill. So if you don't know who I am, let me take a couple minutes to tell you a little bit about me. All right, so first of all, my name is Dusty Showers. That's my real name, although my legal given name is Dustin Corey Showers. That's what my mom calls me when I'm in trouble. It just normally goes something like, Dustin Corey Showers, get your butt in here. I haven't heard that in a while, but that's pretty much what I grew up hearing. So I went to college at Northern Illinois uh, on a soccer scholarship. I was a high school All-American soccer player, and I had the most beautiful, luxurious hair. It was just fantastic. Uh, if you don't know me now, I'm bald. So um, so I used to have beautiful hair. I went into college because I, I pretty much just thought that that's what you were supposed to do. And with the soccer scholarship, it made things much easier. But the truth is, there was nothing being taught at college that I really had an interest in. So I get there and uh, immediately... I start, you know, my roommate was Dave Weichman and Dave and I played on the soccer team together. And, and Dave is a, a guy that I, I still have a ton of respect for. Uh, but we first bought a couple piranha and Jake and Elwood were their names. I didn't know who Jake and Elwood were at the time, but um, go figure. They're the, the main characters of the Blues Brothers. So we had these piranha. One of them died. We ended up getting an Oscar, which is a large carnivorous fish. And then we had a piranha living with an Oscar and an angelfish and a placostomus all in our dorm room. But that wasn't enough. So I found a pair of basilisks, which is a, it's a big word to say, but I think I just pulled it off. And a basilisk is a somewhat small lizard and they can be bipedal. So uh, they can get up on both legs and run, sometimes called the Jesus lizard. They can run over um, over water for short distances. So we were young and dumb and we'd put them in the hallway of the dorm and, and chase them up and down and make bets and think that it was awesome that they would get up on both legs and run around. And so that was great. Uh, my 
my freshman year was challenged academically and I also like to party a lot. So um, going into my second year, we were um, we were at school a couple weeks early because we had preseason training. And at some point, I thought it was a great idea to buy a Savannah monitor. And if you don't know anything about Savannah monitors, it's a um, it's a cousin of the Komodo dragon. So it, it they're both monitor lizards. The Savannah though is, is much smaller. It's about maybe two and a half, two to two and a half feet long, but very stout and a thick looking, uh, intimidating lizard. But it, it's really they can be awesome pets if if that's what you're into. So I was at at soccer practice as as my new roommate was moving in, and I had not met this guy yet. So all I know is I've got a roommate coming in who lives in Long Island. And I didn't have anywhere to place any place to put Roxanne, who is the lizard. So, of course, I put her in my closet and it was just like a accordion flimsy door. I come back from soccer practice and the, the RA, the resident assistant who lived right next to right next door, said, um, Dusty, we need to talk. Uh, your new roommate moved in and then just moved out. I haven't even met the guy and he's already moved out. Apparently, while I was at practice, they were moving in, and what was described to me was his mother was on the bed screaming, there's a dinosaur, there's a dinosaur. So I was prompted to um, to really move out of the dorms. They said, it'll probably be better if you just move off campus, Dusty. So I then got an apartment, and I... I began more collecting uh, more things. I uh, pythons and my favorite one was a Burmese python named Asia. And at 11 feet long, I thought it was a great idea to show up at the locker room at soccer practice with my 11 foot python. And I had a, a famous soccer coach. His name was Willie Roy. And uh, he was a, a famous player, famous coach, and he was German. And like many Germans, he was he was tough. So that was the day that I learned that there was really an unspoken rule that pythons were not allowed in the locker room. And um, he didn't have to tell me twice. I, I understood that no, no more pythons in the locker room. So back in my apartment, started collecting other things. I had a pair of uh, purebred Indian pythons. And if you know anything about pythons, Indian pythons are, are a, a rare breed. Purebreds are a rare breed. And then I had a reticulated python. And back then we had ball pythons, but everything was imported. So very few snakes back then were uh, were born in captivity. So what that meant is the ball python is already a shy snake. But now you take one that had been in the wild, it's been traveling everywhere, and it's full of parasites, these snakes don't eat. So everyone in college thought it was cool to get a ball python because they roll up into a ball and they're timid and which is basically because most of them were on death's door. So people started giving me the ball pythons, and then I had a an eight-foot boa constrictor that was practically dead. It hadn't eaten for eight months when it was given to me and hadn't shed. And so I nursed them all back to health, and this is what I love to do. I was breeding Burmese pythons, which back then was cool. Today, you have to be careful about it, especially living in Florida, because Burmese pythons are taking over the Everglades. This was in Chicago, though, and, and Burmese pythons on the loose wasn't an issue for anyone. 
but I had an apartment full of all of these things, even old world chameleons, you know, those ones that, that you see like on the cartoons where their eyes go different ways and their tongue shoots out and, and they were, they were just the coolest thing. I would have these parties and people would fight over which one of the reptiles they would get to hold and I'd have four girls holding the snake and people would fight over Bart, who was my redheaded Agama. And you could just take Bart off your shirt and throw him halfway across the room and he'd stick on somebody like Velcro. And it was totally awesome. The problem was that I was partying a lot and that was starting to reflect in my, my soccer um, abilities maybe, uh, or at least my relationship with my coach. And my grades were taking a nosedive. They eventually said, Dusty, uh, you're going into your third year. It's about time you pick a, a uh, major. And I thought, a major? I don't know what I want to do. So I said, I'm just going to pick phys ed because that's got to be the easiest. And anyway, people said it doesn't matter what your major is. As long as you, as long as you graduate, that's what's important. So I chose phys ed and I had no problem passing the courses like flag football and how to coach basketball and, and pool maintenance, which was pretty much just filled with all the, the athletes. Um, it was a, a weird day when I got called into my coach's office because I had to explain how I failed badminton. And he said that I failed badminton. And I said, I don't, I don't think I failed. But what happened was I had signed up for it. You know, because I was ready for a big challenge. I was ready to take badminton. And um, apparently I, I meant to drop it, but I never did. So that showed up as a as a big giant F. So yes, I failed badminton. But it turns out you have to take some courses like gross human anatomy and kinesiology. And, and while I learned a lot in human anatomy and we worked on real cadavers, um, I didn't pass the course. So it doesn't really matter what you learn. It matters, I guess, if you pass the course. So the next course up was kinesiology. And that's when I said, yeah, I'm out. I don't, I don't think this is really for me because I knew that I wasn't going to pass kinesiology. So after the summer of my third year, I was, um, I was going home. And my mom found this job in the newspaper and it said something like, learn to catch wildlife or trap wildlife or become a trapper, something like that in the Chicago area. And I thought, oh my God, this is my job. This was just written for me. So I thought I'm going to do everything that I can to get this job. And in fact, I, I basically begged for it. I, I went in, like, I'll do anything. This is what I want to do. And I would have worked for free if I had to. And, and I came pretty close. They started me at $6.25 an hour. And even back in 1993, that wasn't a lot of money. So I eventually worked my way up to six fifty dollars an hour. But my first year in the spring and the summer, I worked, uh, worked about 90 hours a week. So we would do animals during the day, which would include raccoons, groundhogs, skunks, beavers, um, special occasions, bats. And, um, those were, were the basics, sometimes chipmunks, a couple specialty things here and there. Uh, but we come back at the end of the day with just a truck full of animals. And then we would pick up our work at night, which would be yellow jacket and bald face hornet jobs. So we'd have anywhere from two to five yellow jacket jobs or bald face hornet jobs at night. And there were some nights that wouldn't get in until one or 2 AM and then have to do it all again the next day. So, while I was putting a lot of hours in, I was learning a ton, but at 625 an hour, <laughs> wasn't making a whole lot of money. But uh, but I worked for a great company called ABC Wildlife, and 
my mentor was a guy named Garen Fife. And Garen was one of the pioneers, if not the pioneer in this business. And, um, and Garen was a, he's a, I really want to have him on the show sometimes. He was a, a crazy, <laughs> he's a crazy dude, but he really, really knew his stuff. And I really couldn't ask for a better mentor, you know, in teaching me how to, how to not just properly deal with the animals, but how to respect the animals. And so what I've seen over the years is there's a lot of people that, that they, they don't care what they do. Like it's just a job. So they catch an animal. They don't care if it sits in a trap for four days. They don't care if it dies in the back of their truck. Um, there's just, it's just a job to them and they don't realize that this is an animal. And even if that animal has to be euthanized, which is a reality in many cases, you still have to treat it with compassion. And that was one of the things that, um, while I, I already had that compassion in, in me, Garen really taught me how to apply that to this business. And so I, I really have to thank him for instilling this into my life because I'm 44 years old now and I started doing this when I was 21 years old and I really truly believe that that I'm great at what I do and that doesn't mean that there's you know I there's other people that that do what I do that may do it differently and I respect that but I truly believe that that I'm good at what I do with the large part because of the training that I had so that's how I got into this business um, I grew it. Well, I started um, at ABC Wildlife, and then a couple of years later, I moved down to the Tampa area where my parents had moved down to. And you know, my dad said, "Come on down here, start your business, live with us until you get going, and buy a house." And, and so I did. And I started a company called Animal Instincts Wildlife and Pest Management. And I started off good working with wildlife and then the, the Department of Agriculture said, well, you know, if you're dealing with rats, you have to get a pest control license. And down here, rats are everywhere. So there's it's difficult to succeed if you're not dealing with rats. So I had to hire somebody with a pest control license until I could get one. And uh, and that's a guy named Dan Shaneman. And, um, and Dan was a, a hard worker, a super, super guy, and really helped me when I was in a bind as far as licensing goes. And so we started to build the company, and, and I thought, okay, well, maybe I can be a full-service company. I can be wildlife. I can do termites. I can do pest control. I can take care of lawns. And so I started hiring these people, and I was young, and um, my management skills were, were basically horrible. So I, I grew the company to $500,000 in revenue, and I went broke, which, you know, some people say, well, how do you do that? Well, I have the formula. So if you ever need to know how to do it, let me know. But I was miserable. I was like, I just get me out of this business. I don't know what I want to do. So I explored for a little bit and eventually ended up in real estate. So I spent about five years in real estate. The market crashed. I went through divorce and said, you know what? I'm going to go back to catching snakes. I can get paid for doing the same thing that I did when I was 12 years old. And, um, you know, I just don't have to to take over the world. I can do it at my own pace. And I had actually partnered with a friend named Otley Sunlin and Otley had the the money and I had the, you know, the, the knowledge of dealing with wildlife. 
And so we partnered for uh, about a year or so. And eventually, you know, our, our philosophies differed. And so we went separate ways. Uh, we're still very good friends. And, and, you know, maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't. But he really rescued me at a time where I was uh, flailing. And between my divorce, you know, I, I forgot how to make money. So when I went through my divorce, and I, I have a wonderful ex-wife, but it threw me off for a tailspin. And I totally could not figure out how to make money. So oddly bailed me out. Um, but you know, and through those times, and then although our partnership didn't succeed, um, he still, you know, basically gave me his blessing and I still do work for him. So when he has problems out at his house, he says, Dusty, you got to get out here. And I do. So, um, so that's, that's the basic story. As I'm getting older, uh, wildlife business or wildlife work can be tough on your body. It's a lot of climbing and, um, on roofs, in attics, up ladders, carrying things around. And in the summertime in Florida, which is basically 10 months out of the year, it's 90 to 95 degrees. So, you know, as I look older or as as I get older and I'm looking at the business, I'm really thinking that there's improvements that we can make and and we we should focus more on how to properly deal with the animal situation rather than how do I make money on this? And so I have no problem telling somebody when they tell me that I need to come out and take care of their animal problem that I can explain to them that they don't really have an animal problem and they don't need me to come out. So that's my my animal experience. Some of you know me through the breast cancer community, which is something that came up totally on accident. And if, you, if this is your first time getting to know me, if you put my name in Google, you're going to see some Uh, unusual pictures. Uh, I've been on Oprah, the daytime show. I've actually been on TV stations all over the country, radio stations all over the country. Um, I swam in Alligator Alley. I've done Red Bull events. I, in 2012, I rode my bicycle from uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida to Los Angeles. All of these things while wearing a pink bra. So when the real estate market fell out, I went through divorce. That's when I was talked into doing a three-day breast cancer walk. I couldn't think fast enough to say no. This was in 2005. So I did it. I fell in love with the event. I signed up again. And that year, somebody said, um, hey, if I custom make you a bra, or actually, I was on a team with women, and they basically told me that I'd be wearing a bra for the next three days. Of course, I said no. And they said, nope, you're going to be doing it. So I said, okay, I'll do it once. And I did it. And it made people laugh and smile. I specifically remember one woman with tears in her eyes looking at me saying, Dusty, thank you. And then Susie Q, who's got a place out on Clearwater Beach, a boutique out on North Clearwater Beach, said, if I custom make you a bra, will you wear it? I said, well, that's a little weird, but all right, I'll do it once. And um, so that parlayed into other people saying, well, if I make you one, will you wear it? And, And before I knew it, I was getting bras literally from all over the country. Um, so if you go, if you're ever in Clearwater beach, go to the Key West boutique on North Clearwater beach and pop in there. You'll see a bra that looks just like my first one on her counter. Uh, since then I probably had 300 bras given to me. Evan Longoria of the Tampa Bay Rays has, uh, he wore one, signed one. Dave Anderchuk of the lightning has signed one. Randall from the world famous honey badger video. Uh, not only signed one for me, but also did a video 
uh, for me in the same likeness of the honey badger. And so, so that was totally awesome. And so basically that's been my story about, um, almost four years ago, we, we turned that into a charity called the second basement with my co-founder Mara Gordon and the second basement provides direct financial support to women and families affected with breast cancer. And we've really been able to help out some people in, in some bad places um, so I'm hoping that over the next year, we can really turn that into to something even more amazing. We've got some great potential, some great things coming up. So in a nutshell, that's what Urban Wildlife Tales is about. Um, I think each week I'm going to take a, a uh, request or a question from the Facebook page. So if you have not, please check out Urban Wildlife Tales on Facebook uh, the first thing I'm going to address is from my friend Lexi Says, who is originally a friend from the breast cancer community that I met, who incidentally lives all the way in Australia. So Lexi, you have to be sure to listen to this podcast so that I can say I'm international. And I think it's always so awesome on my personal Facebook page, uh, which is Dusty Showers. And you can also you can follow me on there as well. Um, and that's where I've got a whole lot of activity and people are always posting stuff. But uh, Lexi always tells me what's going on in Australia. So when I post a picture of one of our little snakes and a, a problem that maybe one of our six or seven foot snakes is causing in the States, she posts a new story that says, well, here's um, a 19 foot python that was just causing problems in our city. <laughs> so it's really, really awesome. Today, I posted a video of uh, or actually I had addressed something having to do um, with baby animals and she posted an article that said uh, here in Australia we have so many marsupials which of course kangaroos and koala bears are, are two of those and there's many more than that but those are the main ones and said one of the things that we have to be concerned about is when they find animals uh, that have been hit by cars or died, you have to look in their pouches to see if there's babies. And so she thought that that was unique to Australia. And while I, I have no doubt that it's a greater problem in Australia just because they have so many more marsupials, we are home to the Virginia possum, which, by the way, if you know me, you know that's my favorite animal uh, possums get such a bad rap. They're the total underdog. I love possums. They're, they're just totally sweet animals. And, and when somebody comes up to you and go, possums are them, their things are wicked. Don't corner them or, you know, them, their suckers will bite you because they got lots of teeth. They won't. If you reach down and pick one up, it's probably going to bite you. However, if you know what you're doing, it's not gonna. And I've got plenty of proof of that. If you Google my name and, uh, possums, especially in, in YouTube. I even kiss them. I don't recommend that you kiss possums, but that's something that, um, you know, possums are awesome. So anytime you find a possum, uh, and in fact, what I did when I saw this, I posted a video from a couple days ago where I had a mother possum that had died in the ceiling of a commercial building and they thought that it was a, a dead rat. So I went out there and immediately found that it was a possum. And then I saw three babies looking at me. So our possums are marsupials. So what happens is, is they're born and they, as they're born, just like any mammal is born, you know, in that place, they make their way up to the pouch only about the size of a big piece of rice. 
and they crawl into the pouch and in the pouch they attach to a teat or a nipple or whatever you want to call it um, a milking device so each of the babies will attach to that and there's normally 13 of them or a max of 13 if there's any more than that uh, there might not be a teat for them to attach to and so they they don't make it um, and oftentimes as the the possums grow their their little hineys and their feet start to hang out and people say oh look that possum is pregnant which is not accurate um, it already gave birth so by the time they're in the pouch they've already given birth so just like in Australia, we do have these issues where possums uh, get hit by cars or they, they die by other means. Uh, they're not very tough animals, so they, they typically don't live much longer than a couple years in the wild before something kills them. Uh, but we do have issues. So when you find possums uh, deceased, it's always a good idea to look in their bellies and see if they have any babies. And if the babies are not too young, you can pull them out, get them to a rehabilitator, and they can be cared for and released. So Lexi, thank you so very much for all of your support on Facebook. And I'm going to uh, assume that you're listening to this so that I can be international and say thank you for everything. So uh, everyone else, post something on the uh, Urban Wildlife Tales page. Let me know what you want to hear about. We're going to talk about bats, um, some other issues with um, whatever animals that we find, you know, keep it light, keep it funny, keep it interesting, but I can't do it without you. So, um, be sure to submit your questions to wildlife tales. Uh, also my business now is called creepy creatures, pest and wildlife busters. So I do some pest control, but I focus on wildlife and I especially focus on rats. So if there's anything that I can ever do for you, find me on Facebook, shoot me a message. So for Urban Wildlife Tales, my name is Dusty Showers, and always be kind to possums. Discover how to build a six-figure business humanely dealing with urban nuisance wildlife. Go to thesixfiguretrapper.com. And you can help promote humane and compassionate treatment for urban wildlife by going to iTunes and giving this show an awesome awesome review the animals will thank you for it